All right, open up to Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to be diving into our part 2 of this gospel series uh, called This is Jesus, the Book of Mark. If you didn't um, listen, if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you um, to go on the website, uh, either our uh, Facebook or a YouTube page and listen to the message because I really spend like 20 minutes at the beginning of the message unpacking about Mark, this person, John Mark, who wrote this, influenced by Peter. It's a really, really cool story. It gives you a background um, of kind of where we're at and, and who this person is. So we're taking that, and I want to say too that the book of Mark um, is not a chronological order of events for Jesus. So we're not going to take a look at the book of Mark in that way. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, the best chronological order of events for Jesus is the book of Luke. Luke was a physician. He was very detailed, and he wrote, wrote things down. Um, but Mark is a little bit more um, sporadic because, as you can imagine, Peter um, I don't know if you ever put your sh- yourself in the shoes of Peter, but sh- Peter is sort of like ready, fire, aim guy. How many of you ready, fire, aim people in the room? Ready, fire, aim. Okay. Um, I just one, seriously. The, I'm, I'm that. Anyway, that's kind of Peter, and Peter influenced this book, and so it's like, it's all action, and I love it because of that. But we're going to dive into a really powerful story. It's also seen in the other Gospels, but starting in verse 1 of chapter 4 of, verse, of Mark. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him. It was so large that he got into the boat and set in, set in it on the lake. All the people were along the shore and on the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen. Everybody listening? A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that it did not bear grain, still other seed fell on good soil. Everyone say good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop some 30, 60, and 100 times. I don't know how many people invest in the stock market here, but 30, 60, and 100 times is a pretty good investment. And this is what we're talking about, the word that produces an incredible harvest in your life. The title of my message today is The Secrets of the Kingdom. Mm, This is going to be a good one. The Secrets of the Kingdom of God. Um, So for context here, um, we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, and he literally just has done a few miracles. He's gathered the disciples, and he's starting to gain some momentum, which means crowds are gathering. In Mark chapter 2, he was at... Peter's mother-in-law's house, and you know, you remember the paralytic that came and lowered uh, the man in, and there were, the place was packed. Shortly thereafter, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and everyone got word of that, and so they brought the sick, and he began to heal. And so Jesus is sort of moving about Galilee, 
um, doing amazing things. And so here, this is one of two sermons that Mark records that Jesus preached. And uh, it's profound because it's sort of a state of the union. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, crowds are forming, good stuff's happening. And here Jesus takes this moment not to heal people, but to teach about the kingdom. And in fact, later on in this parable, Jesus says, if you don't understand this one, you don't understand any of them. So it's a pretty powerful and important uh, teaching that Jesus is giving is, if you don't get this, then it's, it's kind of like a linchpin, you know, house of cards. Like everything falls apart if you don't understand this parable. And so the crowd's like kind of leaning in, right? Um, and Jesus shares this parable. And can you imagine if you had come, you know, a long way? Some people travel days, hours for sure, walking, all bringing the sick and the lame, the lepers. They were all surrounding Jesus. And it says the crowd was so big that Jesus had to get in a boat tiny little boat, like think of like a rowboat. And he's gone on the shore. The water acts as an amphitheater. And there's this big crowd. And here the disciples are like, dude, Jesus is going to do it again. He's going to do something epic like he always does, right? And then he teaches this like really strange abstract parable that no one understands. <laughs> He gets up and says, yeah, so there's a farmer, and he throws out some seed, and then there's a number of different soils, and one's, you know, kind of like the hard path, and don't worry about that one, and then the other one's like really shallow, you know about the shallow, and then the thorns, and then, the, you know, it chokes them out, and then there's some like really, really good seed, and it's really amazing, and it produces a harvest, so uh, be blessed. If you have ears, let it, you know, you should hear, and he just like rows away, <laughs> right? And it's so confusing that Mark doesn't even record or write about the rest of the sermon. Like, it just picks up with what happens after that. So, you know, that records the, the afterwards, after the whole deal, after the whole event, the crowd, all of that, Jesus and the disciples leave. And they believe that there's many of disciples. I mean, there's 12 disciples, but then there's like the followers of Jesus, a small crowd. And they go over to the side and so this is where Mark picks back up the story, and I can imagine it'd be something like, you know, I don't know, every time they have to confront Jesus, I would imagine they pick like a spokesperson, you know, these 12 disciples, they're like, it's probably Peter, like, you know, I don't know if they draw straws or whatever, but like, no, it's your turn. So, you know, you go up to Jesus, and you're like, um, man, today was awesome. As always, Jesus drew a crowd, pretty amazing. Um, but I don't, I mean, how, tell him, tell him. How do you think it went today, Jesus? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if today was your best stuff. Because we don't understand. <laughs> and if we don't understand Jesus, then I think everybody walked away confused. And that's what it says. Literally everybody was confused. And the disciples were like, Jesus, we don't understand. What happened? What, what's the parable? And then Jesus says something super profound to this ragamuffin group of people. He says, verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. And I'll tell you what, I want the secrets of the kingdom 
of God. Anybody else with me today? Anybody else here today just not really interested in more knowledge? More good ideas? Just another nice Christian message? Oh, I want the secrets of the kingdom of God. From the living word that are planted in my heart and it makes me come alive. And I have eyes that Paul says, I think your eyes would be opened with wisdom and revelation from the throne room. And he says to this group of people, they come to him and say, we didn't get it. He says, to you, I give the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's so interesting to me. So what's the... What's the sifting criteria? Because one group of people walked away completely ignorant and lost in the message that Jesus gave. This message that says, if you don't understand this one, you don't understand all of them. One group left completely lost. And the other group was just as lost. So they all heard it. And they were all confused. So what's the difference? I wrote this. The difference is how their heart responded. See, some of them said, No, this was lame. He didn't even heal anybody. I came all this way. She like, boo, heal a leper or something, Jesus. I mean, what's up? Absolutely, Jesus had those hecklers in the audience. They came with an expectation of something, and they all went away confused and disoriented. And the other group, the other one said, I, I didn't get it either. But this man, he holds the words of life. And my soul needs them. And so am I confused? For sure. Am I maybe a little disappointed? Yeah, sometimes. But I'm leaning in. On the inside, I'm leaning in. I have a posture of my heart that's leaning in in the midst of the frustration, the confusion, the difficulty. My heart is leaning in. And Jesus says, to you I give the keys of the kingdom. The secrets of the kingdom. Ooh, I want some of that. So if you're confused, um, I had a buddy of mine text me this week. He's like, man, I've been reading Mark uh, every day. You'd be proud of me. And then he, the next thing he texted, there's some confusing stuff in there. <laughs> Anybody read the Bible and you're like, what? Jesus, you're like the most confusing Messiah ever. Some of the things that are in there are like, I don't, I don't understand. And you're in good company. The disciples didn't understand either. The question is, how does our heart respond? And this is sort of like the, the big deal of the morning right here is the condition of the soil determines the effectiveness of the seed. And that was what this epic parable was all about. If you miss this, you miss the whole deal. This is the parable above all parables. The condition of the soil determines the effectiveness of the seed. Well, the soil is your heart. And the seed... It's the Word of God. 
effective and powerful. And so I'd like to take a moment and pray for the soil and the seed. I pray this every single day for you and for me. I pray this over my message every single week. God, we know your seed is powerful. How's the soil today? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? God, in the next few minutes, we are going to continue to dive into your word. I thank you that you're a good farmer that scatters, scatters seed. You're generous with the seed. So today, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us hearts to understand? Would you uproot those places in us that cause the soil to not receive the seed? And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Many people have asked me before, and there's almost a running debate of how athletic I am. Not a real tall, big person. I don't have a lot of letterman's jackets. But to prove my point, let me tell you about how good I was in middle school. I'll tell you what, you laugh, but I won at Meadowbrook Middle School in eighth grade. I won the most athletic award. And, and that was all sports. My main sport was basketball. And in order to win that award, my final act was a one-on-one basketball game against another guy that was competing. And my final move was a round-the-back layup, reverse layup for the win. Can I tell you, in eighth grade, I was feeling like a million bucks. I was ready to tackle high school. I was ready to go, go get the varsity team, go make it happen. I went to Poway High, and I thought, for sure, I'm going to not just make the team. I'm going to be a star because I was a star. Unfortunately, I didn't make the freshman high school basketball team. And so I ask you today, how does... The number one athlete at, at, at middle, the middle school of, of uh, Meadowbrook not make the high school basketball team. Well, I'll tell you. There was another middle school that they didn't tell you, but all the good athletes went to that middle school. So I was a big fish in a really small pond. And I suddenly realized, oh, see, what you compare yourself to really impacts your self-awareness, doesn't it? And I wrote this. What you compare yourself to impacts the level of your self-awareness. So in this conversation about our soil, our hearts, it's easy, depending on what you compare yourself to, to live in a world where you're not very self-aware. And can I tell you that self-awareness is like the most overlooked spiritual discipline on the planet. I love people that have a, le- a, a, a moderate level of self-awareness. Not only self-awareness, but teachableness. Have you ever been around somebody that's just not self-aware at all? Like they're just, they're just not self-aware. They, they think they're one thing and you're like, you're not that person. Everybody else sees you this way, but they're living in like la-la land over here. Today, I believe Jesus 
is holding up the mirror for us in our hearts to say, I need you to walk in self-awareness about where you're at. Because when we have self-awareness about, how am I really doing on, in, in here? Not how I want to do, and not how I compare myself. Well, like I'm way better than this person, so I must be like doing really good on the inside. And so Jesus holds up the mirror and gives us three ways to look at how's your heart. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to social media. Don't compare yourself to all the spiritual people in the church or the people that you think are spiritual. Compare yourself to these three soils that Jesus lays out in this parable. And so he says this, the hard ground, the shallow ground, and the crowded or thorny ground. And so this is what we're going to talk about for a few minutes. The hard ground, we're going to talk about a wounded heart. The shallow ground, we're going to talk about a religious heart. And the thorny ground, we're going to talk about a divided heart. Now, um, when we look at these things, um, it's, it would be a mistake to look at these things and ca categorize yourself or others as that person. I don't know if you ever take um, personality tests, but I, I don't like personality tests, not because they're not, don't, they don't have a place or they're not effective, but I feel like a lot of times people use them to just put people in a box. So once you've taken a personality test and you find out who you are, and then it's like, boom, that's your box. You have to live within that box. And I'm not a box person. Anybody with me, don't put me in a box. And so when we look at these heart conditions, it would be easy to go, okay, which one am I? Am I the wounded one? No one wants to be the wounded one, by the way. Am I the religious one? Ah, I don't want to be that one either. Uh, a divided heart? I don't know. Do I pick one of the, well, the worst of the three? Can I just tell you? This is all of us. There's not a person in here that at some level in our heart doesn't deal with woundedness. Hello. There's not a person in here that doesn't walk, and I'm going to show you, that doesn't walk at a level of, of a religiosity. And then lastly, absolutely, this is San Diego. We're like, the, the, we're like the city of divided hearts. There's so many distractions, so many ways that you can live your best life, and then just slowly you forget about God or putting him in the first place. And so this is all of us. So as we look at this, I don't want you to be like, okay, which one is me? I want you to say, God, in what places in my life am I wounded? In what places in my life am I religious and divided? So I want to talk about the first one. I'm just going to leave this slide up there. Um, the first one is, um, oh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge the fact that the farmer is so generous with the seed. And I prayed that. But he throws seeds on all of these. He throws seeds everywhere. And it's the powerful word of God that has the power to transform our lives. The seeds everywhere. So unfortunately, those with a wounded heart. So let's talk about this for a minute. It's a hard heart. And a lot of people think that a hard heart is like the non-Christian or the jerk. Listen, you don't have a hard heart because you're a jerk. No one, no one is born as a little child and you just decide to have a hard heart. Now you get a hard heart because Jesus says it's the walking path. Why is it hard? Because it's been walked on. Anybody in here would say, yeah, my, heart, my heart's just been walked on a little bit. Um, everybody. 
My heart's been walked on a little bit. I've had some disappointments. I've heard some hurts. I've made some mistakes. And over time, you go from what Jesus says, we should be like little children, coming to God like children, and that childlike faith. David said, renew in me a right spirit, right? A clean and pure heart, like a childlike heart. And pretty soon we go from that childlike heart that's innocent, that believes the best, that trusts people, that's opened up and, and willing to like go and tackle life. And pretty soon we learn, wait a minute, if I'm like that, it's a good chance I'm going to get walked on. And so we develop calluses, don't we? Where we've just, our hearts become worn. And unfortunately, we do that as a defense mechanism. But what Jesus is saying is that this is the first heart that absolutely blocks the seed. And so you think, and I think, that in those places of woundedness, we're protecting ourselves. But in reality, we're creating a barrier that the living, powerful word of God can't get in. You've heard it said that forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. Hmm, that's interesting. The root of bitterness and how destructive that is to a heart. Why? Well, because it creates a walking path, a hard ground. And the seed, the seed's going out. I just threw the seed right there. The seed's going out everywhere. The farmer's throwing the seed. The farmer's throwing the seed. And, and in those places where we've decided now, see, it's, it's not a sin to be wounded. But when you dig your heels in and decide, I'm staying here, then it blocks the seed. And you become anemic in a certain portion of your life. See, how many of you know we're complex? Like, we don't, we're not like the wounded person. No, we're all the wounded person. And so, so there's compartments. Look at this as compartments in your heart. And there are compartments in all of us that we've said, now the seed's not getting in there because I've dug my heels in in my woundedness. And so the prayer is, Jesus would you bring healing to my heart? God, I want to be a child again. I want to believe again. I want to trust again. Shallow, shallow ground is a religious heart. I think um, one of the greatest lies in the church is what it means to go in Christ. And I think that the religious heart says, I just need more information. I need more knowledge. I want to just get more of this in me. And so the religious people, they love to go to Bible studies. But listen, the, the religious people at the Bible studies, they have a lot to say and they say nothing. They quote scriptures. They share. Let me teach you. Let me teach you what, what that says. Let me teach you about the Greek. And let me tell you how this is so awesome. And everybody else in the room's just like, 
sharing about their woundedness and like, this really touched me and this is what happened when I'm in my marriage and blah, blah, blah. And the religious person's like, oh, that's cool. Let me tell you another scripture that would help with that. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know somebody like that, it's you. But listen, we all have places in our heart that it's just easier to be the religious person. It's easier to tell everybody else what they should do. And what God says is, that's shallow. Because because the only way the seed gets in is when the heart's willing and humble and willing to break open and the seed gets inside. Otherwise, it just stays here. It stays here. Listen, we're called Heart Church. Hello. It can't stay up here. It has to make it down here. And so this is not a religious church. We're not trying to jump through the hoops to be more knowledgeable and go to another Bible study. I hear all the time, like people and my friends, you know, people leave their church, my friend's pastor's church and whatever, because people say, well, you know, it wasn't deep enough. And it's like, man, sometimes our standard for religiosity, for our standard for going deep is not God's standard. Okay, lastly, a divided heart. Um, this is pretty obvious, but a divided heart is somebody that's just distracted, has too much going on in their life. And listen, there's, there's two ways that somebody can take something from you. One, punch you in the face and take it. Or two, Avery, why don't you come on up here real quick? I'm going to take something from you. I'm not going to punch you in the face, though. I promise. So, so all right, let's give Avery a hand. Come on now. So, so I really want to take this from you, uh, and so, but I'm not going to punch you in the face, so i got to figure out a different strategy, and so I'm going to start with, um, wherever my phone is, I'm going to start with, you know, just pretend like you're, you're focused. Don't worry about me. You're focused on the Word of God because you're such a man of God, and you're eating up the seed. I mean, it, you're diving in. You have a good heart, good soil, and it's just soaking in. You guys see it? And then, no, you just keep focused. But, but here, but when I give you something, you have to take it. Because that's sort of the analogy. So, I'm going to unlock my phone so the apps are available. Yep. You just keep doing your thing. You just keep doing it. Yep. And then I've got a really important document over here. It's an email from work. It's not urgent, but it's going to feel urgent. Yeah, yeah. Just keep going. Anybody got any money? You got any money on you? No, don't worry. Don't. He says, I see I say money and he just listens, but you're, you got to stay focused. Oh, man. Let's just, 100 is fine. He's a high schooler. Opportunities. You just stay focused. See, opportunities to put something else first. Yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you just keep doing it. It's fine. See, he's still happy. He's rocking. (laughs) 
Do you see it? See it? It's easy, isn't it? Can we give him a hand? He's like, can I keep the $100 bill? (laughs) See, it's uh, so easy for us to live with a divided heart. And listen, this isn't something to feel bad about, like condemnation. This is something, all of these things are for us to realize like, an, like, like, a, like a light bulb. These are things that are keeping the living, powerful, alive word of God spoken to us from getting down into our heart and creating this incredible harvest. And so God, in what places in my life do I need to be arrested with your goodness, consumed with your purpose and who you are. So when those distractions come, I don't want to have a divided heart. And so, and so though we all have all three of these, I want to just ask a question. Which one resonates? Which one convicts? Like, you're right, God. I, and I... I realize that there's a place in my heart that's wounded and I didn't, I didn't see how that's created a place where God, you can't bring your living word. It's, it's blocking it. Where, where are those places where, where I've just been, I've been going through the motions. I just thought I was supposed to be just like a good Christian, but I realize that like I haven't opened up. And where am I divided? So we land on the good ground. So, yeah, that's a reality, the three soils. But let's talk about the good ground. What does the good ground look like? Because the goal isn't to just not have bad ground. The goal is good soil. So what does that look like when you take your shovel out and you start making good ground in your heart? Can I tell you, this doesn't happen by accident. Good soil in your heart, so you can be transformed by the word of God. It doesn't just happen on accident. Do you know that people who have good soil have good relationships? Why? Well, because they're not wounded. Because they're not religious. They're not double-minded. They have healthy relationships. They have a healthy soul. So what does this, what does this look like? Well, I'll tell you, it's not what you think. See, I think that at times we think a good heart is a committed person. The spiritual person full of good Christian behavior. And so we come to church and we say, okay, God, I don't want to be the wounded. I definitely don't want to be the wounded person. I don't want to be the religious person. So I'm going to have a good heart and I'm going to work very hard at being the good Christian because I want to have the good heart. Because we were taught that we have something to do with the transformation. The seed, it says, goes out and it produces this incredible harvest on the inside. It changes who you are. And we were taught, you have something to do with that. Your good behavior. So go and be good so that you can be good. And so this is what the good soil looks like. How many, has, how many of us have ever been on that wheel, merry-go-round? 
or that hamster wheel. How many times that once, as soon as it goes up, it goes back down, and you're like, oh, dang it, I'm in the same place. Except I'm more tired. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The hamster wheel. I've worked really hard, and I got nowhere. My behavior's a little bit better until I get tired, and then it's not. But on the inside, I don't know that I'm that much better. Why? Because that's not the definition of the good soil. Notice what produces the harvest. The seed. And the seed is the redemptive work of Jesus. Come on! I literally wrote that in my notes. Come on, it's the redemptive work of Jesus! My sermon's always going to come back to Jesus because he is the seed. Listen, don't make any mistake about it. It's confusing. I get it, but the disciples are confused, so that's okay. This right here is Jesus. And it's also a book. But it's Jesus. But it's also a story. And it's also wisdom. And it's also truth, but it's Jesus. Which means when you read it, when you hear it, when you listen to it, when you post, post it on your you know, bathroom wall. Anybody ever do that? Post-it notes of scriptures or cool quotes on bathroom walls. And I just uh, saw something on uh, tw- Forever 21. They had a scripture on the bottom of the bag, John 3.16. They're going out of business, which is a bummer, but they're a Christian company. Anyways, I diverged. Okay, so scriptures everywhere you put them. Yeah, it's a Bible. And yeah, it's a story. And yeah, it's truth. But it's Jesus. And he wants to transform your life with the word. And it is his incredible work. The soil just, pro- just produces a great opportunity for it. So you don't change your life. Jesus does. Our job is to root out those things in our heart. Oh, come on, I'm getting personal. We've got to root out those things in our heart that keep the good seed or keep Jesus from doing an incredible work in our life. And so today, Lord, my prayer isn't, Lord, I pray I'd be good today. Lord, I pray I'd be a good Christian today. I pray my behavior would be so holy today. Listen, I I believe we're all supposed to strive for holiness. I just know where holiness comes from. It comes from Jesus. And so it comes from a soil, a heart that says, God, I want to have a heart that can absorb your goodness for me. That I can see you for who you are. See, a a conflicted heart, a thorny heart, a shallow heart, what happens is you begin to see Jesus differently. You see him through a a judgmental lens. Like he's he's some judge that's going to squash you. Or you you, you see him through, through a distant lens. Instead of the Father that's embracing you. So he says, give me a heart that can absorb your goodness. So then I'll be transformed. So what does that look like? What does this heart look like? Well, let's ask the person that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. Because I'll tell you what, I want to have a good heart and I don't know how to get there. And the Bible calls one man 
the man after God's own heart. You know who it is? That's right, his name is David. And he wrote this in Psalm 51. Before you put it up there, okay, you already put it up there. Um, No, you're good. Come on, let's give it up for Philip, everybody. Let's go. I love this passage of scripture because this is Psalm 51. It's a whole sermon, but I won't get there. Psalm 51 is the broken love letter that God wrote to David and David wrote to God. Because there's parts in there that are from God and there's parts that are from David after he sinned with Bathsheba. You remember the story. He sleeps with another woman. She's pregnant. He freaks out, has her husband killed, and hides the whole thing. And he would have been good except the prophet Samuel came in and said, you're going to need to repent. And David did. He repented. And he remained king. And, 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 and then it was said about him that he was a man after God's own heart. So this is the guy who's, who's, who's blown it more than anybody else on the planet. And this is the psalm. And this is what David says about God and about having a heart. That reflects God. It says this. For the source of your pleasure. This is David talking in his brokenness. The source of your pleasure is not my performance or the sacrifices that I might offer. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifices of my broken heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I bow down humbly at your feet. I'm going to invite Adam to come up as we close. What does a good heart look like? It's a broken and humble heart. We don't talk about brokenness very much because in our culture that's a sign of weakness but in the kingdom of God brokenness is the most beautiful thing to the Lord and so today the message that I want to leave with you is not well your heart might be incapable in places of receiving the seed yes we have some work to do but the antidote For the three bad soils is the good soil. That's the antidote. The antidote to David's mess that he was in and his heart was all over the place was coming before God and saying, I now realize that you don't want my good behavior. You don't want me to try to fix this on my own. What you want me to do is bow down before you with a broken and open heart and say, God, I need you. I'm a mess. I don't understand. There's days that I'm good and there's days that I'm not so good. And in both sectors, I don't feel complete and whole. And I don't always know what to do. And so today, God, I come to you and I say, I need you. I'm broken and humble before you. Can I tell you today that the broken and humble heart is the only one that absorbs the seed. And I want you to take that in for a minute because this concept and this message has transformed my life and many of you. The only places that the true 
living word, Jesus, the gospel, who he is, the only places that it has taken true root in your heart are the places that you've been broken and humble. That's it. Honest before God? Surrendering our striving and our work? Trusting in the finished work of Jesus? Willing to come and say, God, I I need you. Like the breath in my lungs, I need you. I don't have it on my own. Come on, will you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment and allow the Spirit of God to begin to arrest your heart and soften it. Come on, I desire brokenness and contriteness. These are the things that God delights in. Are you wounded today? Come broken and humble before God and allow Him to heal you. Are you struggling with shallow faith that's just head knowledge and religion? Come broken before the Father and allow Him to set you free that you might see Him anew today? Are you divided in your heart and struggling with the God of this world and all the distractions? Today, fall on your knees and say, God, I need you. I need you to rid my heart of those things that your living word might be planted. Change me today, God. So Father, I thank you for this incredible work that only you can do in our hearts. May we be forever different. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You know, as I was, as I was writing this message, it struck me, and I know we're a little bit over time, but I want to leave you with this. As I was walking through what it is to be broken before the Lord, I was remembering how much they broke Jesus. And in his brokenness, he was shamed and ridiculed and rejected and laughed at. Can you see it? That's what his brokenness looked like. So that your brokenness could bring healing. See, in his brokenness, he experienced all the things that we fear that would happen to us when we open ourselves up, when we're not so guarded, when we start trusting God again and trusting people again and having that childlike faith, that open heart, that tender heart that's so vulnerable and so breakable, and we think it's going to be squashed. And what Jesus says is, no, I was squashed for you. So that when you walk that way, you walk in victory.
and wholeness and healing. So he says, I got you. Learn a new way. I'm not going to pray again because I already prayed. So I love you all.